This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. We began a two-part study last week of the journey of man from birth to eternity. Brother Jesse had asked me to talk a little bit about what happens after death and to go over some things that we'd studied uh, in Bible studies here at uh, various times, and so I'm glad to do that. And I had a, a, a study here on this journey of man that I never had given to you and wanted to take the church through it, and not only that, but to get it on record on podcast and also on live stream on the Internet, and we've done the Internet part, and after this study we'll have the live uh, the podcast. So we're glad to be able to do that. Let's rehearse a little bit of what we said last week. We talked about how man that's born of woman, according to Job 14, is a few days and full of troubles. So Job speaks of us being a few days, but he's talking about the earthly part of our journey because we're on a very long journey that's going to take us out to an eternity that never ends. We're just really in the beginning parts of it. We haven't been on this journey very long. Some of you, very short time. And so we come into this, this world then by a natural birth that places us in a state of innocence. And we, we pointed out that we start off innocent, but our minds develop. We understand right and wrong and good and evil. Eventually, we will choose the evil. We will break God's law. And when we do, we lose that innocence and fall into sin. God, though, is mindful of that. He doesn't want us to suffer the consequences of sin because the wages of sin are this second death in the lake of fire. And so he sent Christ to the earth, of course, to shed his blood to pay our sin debt, to rise again for our justification. And God offers us an opportunity for a new start. We cannot go back to the time when we'd never done anything wrong back here and start all over from that point, but we can start from the point that we're at now where we've committed sin. God says, I will forgive that, give you a brand new start. I'll give you a new birth, not a physical birth like you came into this world with, but a, a spiritual birth into my kingdom. And I'll forgive your past. I'll blot out all of your sins. And if you will serve me, I will give you life everlasting. He promises that. So many, many people take advantage of that and come into the kingdom. If we're faithful, all is well with us. Sometimes people fall. They are not faithful as God's children, and so they get into a fallen state and are separated from God. And of course, if you'll notice, there's two gates here from the kingdom into this fallen state, and we can always come back while we have life and breath. We have that opportunity, and sometimes people do return back and take their place in the kingdom. And God forgives those things that they did. We showed that everybody is in one of these four different places. It doesn't matter. Anywhere on earth in this assembly, not that all are in every category, but people are in one of these four different places. And then we pointed out that death, if Christ delays His coming, is going to overtake us in one of these different parts of our earthly journey. But that's not the end of us. Physical death is not because the journey continues. And so we talked about what happens after death, how Christ told this story in Luke 16 of two men that lived here, one a rich man and one a beggar. And he talked about one that served God and one that wouldn't, and they died. And we read of the uh, rich man that he was in Hades in torment immediately, whereas this beggar was in the comfort of Abraham's bosom. We studied three different Greek words back there that in the King James are translated with our English word hell. Remember, they are the words Tartaru, Gehenna, and Hades. Tartaru, I showed you last week, is the deepest pit in Hades. This is where the wicked angels are confined that have been kicked out of heaven. It also has a section of torment for those that uh, have died in sin. It has a place of comfort for God's children that have served Him, separated by this great gulf or expanse that cannot be crossed. And that's basically where we left our study last week. I was going to point out to you last week that when Christ died, 
he went to this very place called Hades. Now, Hades is not a bad place, not necessarily. It's a place with two sections. One of them is very wonderful. It's called Abraham's bosom. Jesus called it with the, paradise, uh, with the thief on the cross, paradise. And then there's another part that we don't want to be at, and we're in that place immediately when we die. That is, our soul is. Christ went to this place. I will show you that in just a moment. I will not just assert it, but we will actually look at scriptures that says Christ was in Hades when he died, that that's where he went. But I want you to look at the very last sheet in the set of notes I gave you. The very last sheet. Man is a three-part being, and I want to deviate just a minute to take you through a study of this, and I want you to have the scriptures. And here uh, recently, and in the last, I would say, a couple of years or so, I've been using this quite a bit at funerals, especially at the cemetery, because so many people don't understand death. Man is a three-part being. He has three parts. God, the Godhead, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Man is three parts. Read with me 1 Thessalonians 5.23 at the top. Paul said, In the very God of peace sanctify you holy. And I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about your spirit, your soul, and your body, these three distinct parts. And death is a separation, and at death these three separate, and every one of them goes to a different place. Every one of them. Neither go to the same place, but all to a different place. Spirit, soul, and body. The body basically goes to the grave. Now when the body dies, of course the soul leaves it as well as the spirit. Let's notice some scripture. In Genesis 35 and 18, we have the death of Rachel, Jacob's wife, the one that he really loved. He was married to Leah, her older sister, but he loved his Rachel. And of course, he had fathered children by four different women. Rachel gave him Joseph and Benjamin, and Rachel died giving birth to this last baby, the twelfth child of Jacob, the twelfth tribe, Benjamin, the one Saul of Tarsus came from. She died in childbirth. And the Bible records her death here in Genesis 35. Here's what it says. It came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. So notice now her soul was in departing. When you and I die, our soul will leave the body. That's what it says. I could give you another scripture. I won't do that, but if you need the notes on it, around 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, you'll read of a child dying of a widow there that Elijah was staying with. And Elijah stretched himself over that child and he prayed to God and he said, Oh Lord, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the soul of that child came into him and the young lad revived, and Elijah raised him from the dead and presented him to his widowed mother. That was her only child, and she had just lost him. And, of course, she was just filled with sorrow and grief. But the soul came into that child. First Kings 17, around verse 20, 21, if you want to check that sometime. You might read the verses on either side of it to get the full context. And then in James 2.26, the Bible says that the spirit leaves the body when we die. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So we are spirit, soul, and body, and at death then the soul and the spirit leave the body. There's that separation. And of course, we usually bury the body. In John 5.28, the Lord referred to this, marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. So there's the disposition of the body. And oftentimes as I speak at a funeral, I point out that we are given that body usually to take care of, to honor, to bury with dignity out of our sight, and usually that's what, that's what is done with a loved one. And uh, yet in an ultimate sense, God has control of that body. 
because when Christ comes back, he will raise that body from the dead. We can put a body in the ground all we want. We can't bring it up. We can't resurrect it. And that's where we have to have Christ. And so ultimately, God takes care of all three parts of us here that separated death. He ultimately takes care of the body. He raises it from the dead. Then we're told that we are part spirit. We have a spirit. That's part of us too. And what happens at death? Well, that spirit goes back to God. Now, here's three scriptures that teach this. I'll give them to you in succession here. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So the Spirit returns to God. There it is. And we see that with Christ in Luke 23, 46. When He died, remember, He cried there with a loud voice. He said, Father, into Thy hands I commend My Spirit. And so the Lord commended His Spirit back to His Father. And then again, Acts chapter 7 and verse 59, remember when they stoned Stephen. The Bible says they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. There again is another passage that teaches that. So three scriptures there that show you your spirit will return to God. And then number, uh, number three, of course, is the soul. And that's what we talked about last week in the first part of the study. We read in Luke 16, 23 that in hell or Hades, this rich man died. In Hades he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So the soul goes here. The spirit to God, body to the grave, and soul to this place that we call Hades. This is the real you and I right here. This is what death can't destroy. When the Lord said, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him that who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So this is the inner man. The Bible talks about the inner man. This is the real you and me. This is mind and emotion and will and conscience. This is who you are, the soul. And that's what's in the image of God, of course. And uh, this goes to this place then at death, the place we call Hades. This whole thing is Hades with the comfort and torment and the wicked angels here in the deepest part. All right? I said that Christ went to this place when he died. He actually did. And the Bible shows that. And I want to read now some scripture with you. From Acts chapter 2, we will read in just a moment. But let me... Let me say some things up on the front of this. Uh, if we were to look at Luke 23, would you look there with me just a minute? Luke 23 and verse 39 to 43. Luke 23, 39 to 43. Luke says, And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Does not thou fear God? Seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man had done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now you have that scripture, of course, on your sheets back here among the group. If you'll find Luke 23, you'll get an order of where I'm going now. So Christ told this thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. Wherever Christ went that day, he took the thief. And he called that place paradise. Now normally paradise refers to heaven. It's used that way a lot. Paul talked about be, being called up to the third heaven, up to paradise there in 2 Corinthians 12 when he was given a vision of heaven and not permitted to, uh, to tell about the things that he heard and saw up there. Nonetheless, it was called paradise. But here, paradise refers to this place of comfort in Hades called Abraham's bosom. I'll show you that in a minute. Today shalt thou be with me he told the thief, 
in paradise. All right? Now in John 20, verse 17, when the Lord rose from the dead, of course, Mary Magdalene and other women had come early to the sepulcher. Christ had been buried in haste. They had not properly anointed His body. The ladies that served and ministered to Christ wanted to make sure that His body was properly anointed. And they had brought sweet spices and aloes and things to anoint that body. They were concerned about who would roll that huge stone away. When they got to the tomb, the stone was rolled away. They looked in and the body's missing. There's no Jesus there. And of course they're, they're troubled by that. An angel tells them that he's not here, he's risen. And uh, Mary wanders around the garden there ultimately and sees a man in white. She thinks it's the gardener. She doesn't, I guess, understand what the angels just told her. There's been a resurrection. And so as she wanders around the garden, she sees the man in white that she supposes is the gardener. But then her eyes get opened and she understands it's Jesus. He's alive. And evidently she must have reached out to touch him. Which would be natural if you and I had a loved one appeared. That's probably the first thing we'd want to do would be embrace them. Christ told her in John 20, 17, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go unto my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and unto my God and your God. Jesus said, Don't touch me, I haven't ascended. Where's He been? Well, we know His Spirit was sent back to God. We know His body's been in the tomb three days. Where's His soul been? Where's He been three days? He said he would take the thief to paradise. Where did he go? That's answered in Acts 2, if you'll turn there. Acts 2, and we'll read verse 25 to 32. Now it's the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Lord's death. Peter's preaching the gospel for the first time. He's just declared that God has raised up Christ because it was impossible that death, that he should be holding of death. And now to prove that, he's going to advance an argument. He's going to quote a psalm back here, Psalm 16, verse 8 to 11. A thousand years before Christ ever came, David predicted the resurrection of Christ right here in this passage. The resurrection of Jesus. 1,000 years before it ever happened, he gave a prophecy about it. And he made this statement. Peter said, For David speaketh concerning him, Christ, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. And that word hell there is Hades. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, Hades. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. There's two things predicted right here. Christ's soul would not be left in Hades. And his flesh would not seek corruption. That is, it would not return to dust. That was the prediction. And then he goes on, David does, as Peter quotes him, Thou hast made known unto me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. But you know, it sounds like David is talking about David. Thou will not leave my soul in Hades. And Peter wants that clarified. He does not want the vast thousands of Jews that are listening to think that David's speaking about himself being raised. And so he explains in verse 29, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. Now if you want to know about David, Peter said, he's still in the tomb. He's dead, he's buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. In other words, David's not talking about David. David's still in the ground. So he's dead and buried and his sepulchre's with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ 
to sit on his throne. He's seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we're all witnesses. So he applies this prophecy right here to Christ and said David was speaking about the resurrection of Christ. That his soul was not left in Hades. Look at that statement. If Christ's soul was not left in Hades, that implies that's where it was. That's where it had been. It had been there. It wasn't left. Thou will not leave my soul in Hades. Neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Christ's body then never returned to dust. That's what David predicted. Now if you talk to a Jehovah's Witness today, if you were to really press him about the body of Christ and about some things about the resurrection, they do not believe that Christ rose bodily from the dead. I don't know if you knew that or not. They don't. They do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. Isn't that sad? They believe that he took up some spiritual body of some kind. Now that's important, brethren. I'm telling you about it because it is. I want you to understand it when you deal with these people. If Christ didn't bodily rise from the dead, we don't have a resurrection. They undercut the very core of the gospel. He was raised for our justification. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Paul said... We're still in our sins. He said we're of all men most miserable. He said we have no hope. You see, they're destroying the gospel with that doctrine because they have the convoluted idea that man is just a body and does not have a soul. That's their position. They do not believe you have a soul. They do not believe in a lake of fire of eternal punishment. They do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. They think Jesus was Michael the archangel. They're just full of false doctrine and people let them right on in the home. And they bring all that false doctrine in that just undermines the gospel. And we need to know about this. We need to be educated about it. Our children need to know this. Don't let them in the house if you're not prepared to deal with them. Because they have a lot of false doctrine that's just absolutely contrary to the whole good news of the gospel, the resurrection of Christ. I asked one of them one time, what happened to the body of Jesus? He said, I don't know. And I said, well, you better find out because according to David, it was never to see corruption. It's still around somewhere. His flesh would not see corruption, you see. It was predicted Christ's body would never return to dust, never. And so if he didn't rise from the dead bodily, the body's still here somewhere. Because it's never going to corrupt. You see, they don't think about things like this when they undercut the gospel and undermine our hope. I just wanted to dispense with that and I'll move on. But the thing I want you to get out of this scripture mainly is that when Christ died, he went to Hades. So when he told the thief, Today you'll be with me in paradise. You can see where he went. His spirit returned to God, body to the tomb. But Christ himself, of course, went to Hades. And his soul was not left there. All right? And that's true of everybody. It was true of the rich man in the story, and it was true of Lazarus when they died. In fact, let's look at the beggar now. Luke 16, verse 22. The Bible says it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. That's that place of comfort. The rich man also died and was buried. Notice his body's buried. Verse 25, when the rich man pleaded for help from the beggar, Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Listen, in this wonderful place right here is all of God's people. The righteous Abel, the ark builder Noah, 
Abraham, the friend of God, Moses, the lawgiver, all of the prophets, the apostles, they've been here for millenniums. And they're in comfort and they're in rest and they're in peace and they're waiting the coming of Christ. That's where the soul goes. As for the wicked, we read of the rich man. Let's look at him just a moment. Let's go back to verse 22 and come up now, well, really 23. We'll come up through 31 with him. This is immediately after death. This is the man that didn't serve God. We read that he died and was, was buried. Then in verse 23, in hell or Hades, he lift up his eyes being in torments. Now this is immediately when he died, folks. No stops, no going anywhere else. All of a sudden he lifts up his eyes and he's immediately in torment. He seeth Abraham afar off. He can see. You see, he's conscious. And Lazarus in his bosom. He cried and said, Father Abraham, he can speak. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember. You see, he's got memory now. He can see, he can speak, he can hear, he's got memory. He's just as conscious as he ever was because the soul doesn't die. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. You see, the real person's there. And he's experiencing these things. And yes, he's out of body. But he evidently has some form that can be made out. He could actually see the form of others, Abraham and the beggar. We evidently have a form of some kind, even after the death of the body. And so, we are a spirit-type being then. And so Abraham tells him, you remember that in your lifetime thou receivest thy good things, likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Now brethren, stop there a minute. You can't torment what's not alive, can you? You can't comfort what's not alive. You can't comfort something dead. You can't torment something dead. Only things that are alive. This man's quite alive. And so's the beggar. He's comforted. And now this man's in torment. And then verse 26, beside all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So Abraham is just basically telling this man, you're doomed right here. Your destiny's fixed, nobody can come to give you relief, and you cannot cross to be where we're at. There's a gulf fixed between us that just is not going to be crossed. That starts the rich man then thinking about life back on earth. Folks, he's got five brothers back here. He has left behind an influence that will curse and destroy them if they follow him. I talk to people sometimes and they'll say, well, it's my life. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm going to live it how I want to live it. But they don't understand they are hurting somebody. Somebody's following us. We're an influence one way or another for Christ. Jesus said, he that's not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. So we're with him or we're against him. We gather with him or we're scattering. And folks don't understand this. They're having an impact upon the lives of others. Somebody's watching them when they're cutting the grass on Sunday morning and not going to church, somebody sees that. And a lot of times it's little ones that come right along behind them. They're influencing their own families, their own relatives. And this man has influenced his brothers, evidently. At least he knows that if they continue on the course they're on, they're going to wind up where he is, and they don't want that. He doesn't want it. And so he wants the man warned. Verse 27, Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. 
So he wants the beggar sent back to earth to warn his five brothers. And Abraham tells him, they have Moses and the prophets. The law was in effect then. It had provided the instruction sufficient for Lazarus. It would provide instruction sufficient for the five brothers. But you see, he wants, he wants someone from the dead to return. And Abraham tells him that that wouldn't matter anyway. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, they wouldn't be persuaded if one rose from the dead. You know, Christ rose from the dead. How many people are persuaded today? Hasn't made one bit of difference to them. And he's come back to do a whole lot of talking. We have a New Testament full of it. Nobody will hear it for the most part. The curtain falls on this scene. The beggar's in comfort immediately after death. The rich man's in torment. And they determined that by how they lived here on earth during this earthly short part of the journey. You and I are doing the same thing. I said that if Christ delays His coming, you and I will die one day. Hebrews 9.27 tells us that, doesn't it? That it's appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. And when we leave this earth, brethren, we're going to leave from one of four different places. Where will we go? The spirit returns to God, that much we know. The body, let's suppose, is buried, taken care of that way. What happens to the soul? We've shown it goes to Hades. So now let's look at these four different areas and think about death coming. And sometimes, sometimes one of these little ones will pass. We lose one of them. Could be car accident, could be disease, could be any number of things. It's one of the most difficult things for people to ever bear is the loss of a child. It's the hardest funeral I've ever had to preach. To preach the funeral of a little baby. What do you say to the parents? It's just really hard to comfort. It's just very difficult. But we have to realize that if something happens to one of these innocent ones like this, or somebody's mind that didn't develop, everything's well with them. In Matthew 19, 14, if you want to read there, Jesus... Uh, was being prevented by his disciples to bless kids. They thought it was an interruption to Christ. But he told them in Matthew 19, 14, uh, about the little children. He said, Suffer little children to come unto me. Forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. Christ likened little children to those in the kingdom, vice versa. When one of these little ones dies, then at death, the soul and body is going to separate. The body, of course, owned to the tomb, to the grave, the soul to this place of comfort. And so many parents have been comforted by that fact that everything's well with that little one. And uh, that's really about the, the only comfort we have. We know everything's well, that they are safe, that they're innocent. You see, they're not saved or lost, they're just safe. They didn't need saving. They never were lost. And so they're in a safe condition in this place of comfort. What happens when one of these faithful children of God passes? Well, at death, the soul and body is going to separate, remember? The body then to the grave, but these souls will come over here like the poor beggar that served the Lord. They will come to this place of comfort. Now that leaves a couple of others. What about those that turned down the gospel that never would obey Christ, that wouldn't let Him serve, uh, be Lord of their life? What will, what will happen to them? Well, at death, again, we've got this separation, soul and body. The body goes on to the grave, but these souls wind over here, wind up over here in torment. Just like the rich man. What about the erring, erring Christian? What about the fallen that would not come back? 
Well, we're told about him, and I didn't give you a scripture on those in sin, but let's read John 8. John 8 and verse 24 and then verse 21. Jesus said to the Jews, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Verse 21 of John 8. He said, I go my way and you shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, you cannot come. So if we die in sin, then we cannot go where Christ is. And they wind up in that place. What about the erring Christian? Well, that's 2 Peter 2, verse 20 to 22. Peter said, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness and after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog has turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed who are wallowing in the mire. This person winds up just like the rich man in this place of torment. Everybody leaves earth from one of the four places. That's what I'm saying. And that's the disposition of the soul when it happens. Depending upon which place we're at when we die. Where we're at on our journey. All right? Now we await in this place until the coming of Jesus. <clears throat> Look, we've got loved ones right here in this comfort. I can assure you they're happier than we are this morning. They're happy. They're at rest. Their race is run. They've won the race and they're resting there. Others that wouldn't serve the Lord are in torment. And we wait in this place till the second coming of Christ. And when He comes... These souls will leave this place and these bodies will come up out of the grave. In John 5, verse 28-29, Jesus said, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So He will empty all the cemeteries. He will empty the ocean of all bodies in it. Anywhere there's a body on this earth, the Lord knows. And He will bring it forth, even if there's nothing left. He'll bring it forth. 1 Corinthians 50, verse or 15, 50 to 58. Not only is there a resurrection, there's a change. Our bodies aren't suited for heaven. They've got to have a change. They've got to be changed to a different state. Flesh and blood can't live in heaven. That's why when you hear at funerals, so-and-so's fishing, so-and-so's playing golf up in heaven, stuff like this, people are just not thinking. They're not thinking. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 to 58, Paul talked about, well, in this whole chapter, actually, about the resurrection. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You can't go to heaven like this, Paul said. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So then, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 
for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Incidentally, when that passage says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is that victory? That word grave there, folks, is Hades. I don't know if you knew that. It should be so translated or really not translated at all. O grave, where is thy victory? O Hades, where is thy victory? That's the word there. Death, where is thy sting? Hades, where is thy victory? So then at the coming of Christ, this place is emptied out. The souls or the bodies come out of the graves. And everybody's brought here now to a place where we've got to stand before Jesus. Very sobering day, if you can imagine that. We'll see Him in all of His glory. And we'll all stand before Him. And these folks will come out of here, souls. and They have a resurrection as well. And so they're brought out and brought into this place of judgment also. And now we've got to give an account to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. The Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive for the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. So everything that we've done then while we're here in this flesh, we've got to give an account of unless it's forgiven. And we can't afford to come into judgment with sin still on our, our record. Because we've got to give an account. In Revelation 20 verse 12 to 15. Some believe that this is not the final place of punishment for the wicked. That it's not talking about the final judgment. There are different views on Revelation 20. But nonetheless, regardless of your view, it foreshadows the final judgment at least. John said, I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell, that word hell, there's Hades. Death and Hades delivered up the dead that were in them, and they were judged every one according to their works. And death and hell, that is death and Hades, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You know, people have their names a lot of places. It's considered a great honor to have your name, for example, in the Baseball Hall of Fame, Cooperstown, New York. If, by the way, you ever get an opportunity to visit that place, some of you may have seen it. It would probably be worth your time. It's a very interesting place. I've been there. And you'll find old balls and gloves. and Some of those old gloves they wore not much bigger than my hand. I don't know how they stopped the baseball with them. But I've had gloves that I bought to protect my hands from the cold that were nearly as big. It's an interesting place. And I'm sure Canton, Ohio is an interesting place. The NFL Hall of Fame. It's considered... A great honor to have your name there. And on a, a sidewalk out in Hollywood, if you've got a star and your handprints in cement and your name inscribed there on that sidewalk, that's supposedly a very great honor. But if you'll think about all those at Cooperstown and all of those at Canton and all of those on a Hollywood sidewalk, if their name's not in the book of life, what good is the honor they had here? What good is it? And what good is our life if our name's not found in that book? We have wasted life. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's the ultimate sentence then of this judgment. To some, the Lord will say, come home to me. Others, he will say, depart. And I don't have the words to describe the lake of fire. There are judgments in Revelation that speak of different things. There's one in Revelation, 
14 and verse 11, but it's actually not the final judgment. It's really just the judgment on those that worship the beast. And, uh, and yet it's a horrible statement about some of it. Let me just read, uh, let me read that passage with you. Revelation 20 and 10 speaks of Satan. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then we read in John 14 or Revelation 14, 11, excuse me, concerning those that worship the beast. And this is not the final judgment, but must be very similar. The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name is torment forever. No rest day or night. Can you imagine that? Never getting rest. Brother Jeb looked at me this morning. He said, you're tired. He said, I don't mean to be rude, you know, or whatever, but you're tired. And he's right, I'm a little tired. But I've got allergies and my eyes are red and I look like Count Patula. <clears throat> but uh, really not a vampire, but I look like one. And uh, lots of drainage and everything. So I look more wrung out than I am, but I'm wrung out. And you know what? If you couldn't rest, can you imagine that? These have no rest day or night. Imagine that. There's another place. Jesus described it up here in John 14 as a place of many mansions. I don't think these are literal mansions. But when you start thinking about talking to people like us, what's the neatest place, the most elegant place that you and I can think about to dwell in this life? It's a mansion, isn't it? I don't know if I've told you about an aunt of mine who lived in a mansion when I was a boy. We had a four-room house. Uh, no running water, no indoor plumbing, no restroom inside, of course. Uh, no, no bathroom at all. And uh, it was pretty, pretty modest. But we would go to Fort Smith every now and then to visit my aunt. It was my father's sister, and she lived in a mansion. And when you pulled up off Old Greenwood Road down there and you began to look at this mansion, it was on a hill and it had huge trees all over the hillside with all the underbrush cleared. When you wound around and got up to the mansion itself, it was made out of rocks. It was three-story, had ivy growing on it. There was a private lake out back where you could swim, fish, or whatever. I mean, it was just immaculate. It had 23 rooms. It had four indoor bathrooms. We didn't have one. <laughs> and my aunt lived there. You say, well, Pat, I didn't know your aunt was rich. She wasn't. She was a maid for a millionaire. She was the maid. She did the cooking and the cleaning. So they let her live in the mansion. And she raised my cousin there. And he grew up in that mansion. Mansions are beautiful, and Christ said in John 14, 1 to 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, and my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. The best thing that we can, can think of when we think of a dwelling place is a mansion. And that's what the Bible uses to describe that to us. Heaven. In Revelation 21 and verse 4, we read this. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. It's a wonderful place, a wonderful home that God's prepared for His children for all eternity. And folks, we're on that journey right now to one of these two destinations. We're just in the very early stages, what we call the earthly part, but it's going to reach out into a vast eternity, isn't it? One place or another.
When you and I came into this life, we had no choice. We were born. We didn't choose to be born, did we? We didn't know anything about it. We did not choose our parents. We didn't choose how wealthy they were or anything about our circumstances in life. We didn't choose our skin color. That's the reason all this racial prejudice is nonsense. Nobody picked a color. We didn't choose the country we were born in. Thank God you and I were born in America. We could have been born in a third world country that's ridden with disease and we could be hunting a meal right now not knowing where the next one will come from as a lot of people on earth are right now. We're a very blessed people, aren't we? There's just a lot of things, folks, we didn't choose. But we can choose one thing. And that's where we wind up at the end of this journey. And we're making that determination right now. We're in one of these four states. Everybody here is. And you can see the outcome of these four. We've talked about it. And if for some reason you need to change the state you're in on this journey to take a different path, path to chart a different course, you can do that today. You've got that invitation from the Lord, that opportunity. And if you're here and accountable to God and you need to make a move in your life, a change, whether it's to be baptized or whether it's to leave this fallen state and come back to the Lord, whatever it is, if we can help you in some way, you're invited to come forward as we rise and sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.